0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to a New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine. And of course, today is no exception. I am really excited to be here today with Dr. Michael Twyman. I'm going to give you his background, and we're going to jump right in. Uh, Dr. Twyman is a board-certified cardiologist who has now become a preventative cardiologist. And in 2017, he discovered biohacking, and I'm really actually curious to hear about that journey, uh, and has been using this modality of health optimization to help patients make incremental changes to their lifestyle and environment to improve their heart health and overall health over time, including using photobiomodulation, which I'd also like a, a Couple of sentences on as well, Dr. Twyman. Welcome to New Frontiers.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. Great to be here.
0: All right, we're going to jump in and talk about all things vascular health, but I do want a little bit of your background on how you made this transition uh, in your in your own professional journey, and then do you know just introduce us to uh, photobiomodulation, and then we'll move right into vascular health.
1: Sure. So the quick background is I'm you know a conventionally trained invasive cardiologist. And I basically decided to leave the matrix a few years ago because it wasn't that I got tired of treating people at the end stage of cardiovascular disease, but I got much more interested in the prevention side of things, you know, and it really starts with healthy endothelium, which I know we're going to get deep into in this today's conversation, but discovered functional medicine back in 2013 or so did some training with a four M learned from Dr. Mark Houston, who's done a lot of the seminal work with the endothelial health. Um, and then eventually discovered biohacking back in 2017 and that's the reason for the, uh, the blue backing glasses. So, um, I was taking a long trip over to Asia from St. Louis and I knew the jet lag was going to be pretty severe. So found an article that talked about wearing these funny looking glasses on the plane and maybe a jet lag wouldn't be so bad. So got to Asia, the jet lag was maybe about a third as bad as I expected. And then when I got home, I was like, I got to read up, on that, like, how does that work? And so then that led me down the pathway of discovering circadian biology. And then a you know, short, uh, detour into like photomodulation. So how to use red light therapy to optimize your mitochondrial health. So that's why there's a big mitochondria behind me on my wall here in the office that I chat with with my <laughs> patients. Like we got to keep your mitochondria healthy and photomodulation is one of those tools that can help with that.
0: All right. Super cool. That's a great story. That is a great story. I just came back from Singapore, by the way. And, you know, I didn't have my, my, uh, appropriate glasses with me and, and did I did hit some jet lag. That's just yes. awesome. Thank you for that background. So, so vascular health is, um, you know, to your your bio biohacking and 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 cardio background. I mean, vac- vascular health is fundamentally uh, essential to longevity, to health span, to health span moving commensurate with with a, a long lifespan. So, just talk to me about why it's so important, and um, you know uh how you think about it in in practice now that you've moved it into preventative cardiology.
1: Sure. So I mean, you know, it's great that we have, you know, cath labs. I was trained in them. We could save people right at yeah. the brink of death, but, you know, putting people on aspirin, beta blockers, and stands wasn't enough. It didn't stop all the heart attacks. And we're still every 40 seconds in the United States, somebody's having a heart attack. There's over 800,000 heart attacks in the US every single year. And it's still the number one killer of men and women. Worldwide. So, what are we potentially missing? So, I always kind of break it down with the patients that I want to kind of think about three buckets. There's vascular health by how healthy is the endothelial glycocalyx and the endothelium, how much inflammation oxidative stress is going on, which you can monitor with blood work, and then you get into the lipoprotein, you know, side of the equation because sometimes traditional medicine will simplify too much where there's quote good cholesterol bad cholesterol, and I just kind of stop them there like there's just cholesterol, but there's different things bearing the cholesterol through the system. And if cholesterol was the biggest problem, well, we can, you know, severely lower cholesterol through different agents and people are still having events. Again, what are we missing? It's the endothelial health component of things.
0: And glycocalyx.
1: Correct. And the glycocalyx that sits on top of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'm just curious about if you can just give me a quick rundown of the labs that you're thinking about as a, car- as a cardiologist to evaluate these. And then I wanna specifically talk a little bit about um, glycocalyx.
1: Sure, so there's unfortunately not one lab you can point to. There's a multitude of them, but a simple one that somebody could do today is just a urine microalbumin and creatinine. You know, we all check those for people with high blood pressure or diabetes, but if you're leaking protein into your urine, you by definition have endothelial dysfunction and glycohelics dysfunction to your kidneys you likely have it somewhere else in the 60,000 miles of blood vessels that you have so i always start with that as the urine test yeah. but again breaking down into kind of buckets you know there's multiple labs that you can look at for oxidative stress so i always look at either oxidized ldl or oxidized phospholipid on apob and then mm-hmm. the urine test the f2-isoprostane creatinine you know that's kind of like your how much are you going to rust if that number is high you're likely to be oxidizing from the inside out there's a whole bucket of like inflammatory labs. So start with high sensitivity CRP. If you can only get one, that'd be the one. Um, and then looking at some of the lipoproteins, if I only could pick one, it'd be apolipoprotein B or APO B for sure. So I would start there. And then there's some other labs that you can look at asymmetric dimethylarginine, symmetric dimethylarginine, uric acid, homocysteine. All these are kind of ancillary things that if they're elevated, you're very likely to have low nitric oxide levels.
0: Right, right. I think anybody with any sort of metabolic dysfunction, anybody with, with, with with you know, prediabetes, medicine type of picture is probably going to have problematic nitric oxide. I mean, we could even get that simple with fasting blood sugar. Do you, do you agree?
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, they'd definitely check all the markers of insulin resistance because that is one of the biggest drivers of glycocalyx dysfunction.
0: Well, that's a good list of labs. That's just a really smart list of labs. And we're fortunate that some of the more uh, sophisticated you know, lipid labs are available if you have basic insurance. So I think we're getting better and better coverage for those, even ADMA. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. So let's talk about glycocalyx and why, you know, and why you as a cardiologist care about it so much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the protective coating for the entire 60,000 miles of blood vessels that you got and your organs, they need oxygen, they need nutrients. And how does it get there? Well, it's a blood flow uh, supply. So, you know, when I was, you know, back to being an invasive cardiologist, you know, we were looking at the major coronary arteries during an angiogram, you know, your left main artery, your LAD, your circumflex, right coronary. And then we'd say like, oh, you got a severe blockage or 70%. Okay. You get a stent. Uh, it's less than 70%. You don't get a stent, but 99% of the blood flow to the myocardium is coming through the microvascular cure and your blood vessels that are the microvessels. You know, I've seen numbers that maybe up to a hundred to maybe a thousand blood vessels will fit in the diameter of one hair. So they're microscopically small, but they all have this lining, this glycocalyx lining, which glycocalyx stands for like, you know, it's like a sugar coating or it's a gel coat. When that gel coat gets impaired, then everything starts going downhill from there. So that is the most root cause thing I can look at for somebody who has cardiovascular diseases. Do they have healthy glycocalyx? Do they have healthy endothelium?
0: And now you know, we talked about some of your labs at the beginning, but how, I mean, how else do you evaluate somebody? What, you know, who's, who's someone who's at risk, you know, barring the patients that you saw in the cath lab? Sure.
1: I mean, the the short answer is everybody's at risk, but right. to what degree? Um, aging is going to be one of the bigger ones because you tend yeah. to collect more chronic diseases as you age, but, you know, endothelial dysfunction, glycocalyx dysfunction, this can start in people's teenage years, but it may be, 10, 20, 30 years before they start presenting clinically to somebody's office with high blood pressure or, you know, showing up with signs and symptoms of advanced cardiovascular disease. So chest pain, shortness of breath, those type of uh, symptoms. So I think almost anybody should be worried about their endothelial function and their glycocalyx, but the older you are, the more you got to be kind of mindful of it.
0: I mean, are you, I think you're, you're absolutely right that this starts incredibly early in life. I mean, are you thinking about that when you're Talking to your patients these days. I mean, when are you really considering sort of intervention, even if it's just some tweaks in the diet?
1: I mean, it's always going to be the, you know, four kind of pillars of health that I talk about. And I know you speak many of the same language that I do. You know, yes, nutrition exercise is important, but we're also talking about your stress management, your sleep optimization. You got to get those pillars right because then it doesn't matter too much like how many supplements you take or medications you take if you don't get the basics right first. So the majority of my patients are generally going to be more uh, longevity minded, prevented minded. So they're going to be generally 45 years old and above, but that's so younger than most cardiologists will see patients. I tell people it's was like, yes, I did the conventional cardiology, but I understand how bad it can get. I'm trying to prevent you from meeting my colleagues essentially, but I almost think I'm too late. I think it really should be pediatric cardiologists doing this type of work because you know metabolic syndrome is becoming an epidemic in teenagers. This is when the like the lifestyle habits that they need for you know longevity are really set in stone. Like I don't want to wait till you're 56 years old where you got advanced disease when we're trying to reverse things. It'd be a lot easier to teach a teenager, these are the big basic things you need to do to have a healthy glycocalyx as you live.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And healthy glycocalyx is, you know, healthy lifespan. I I I think I think you're right. I think that we all of us need to part- participate in this you know radical paradigm shift. You know, you can't do a sedentary mcdonald's life up till up till 45 and expect not to you know really have sustained some significant damage from that yeah i think you're absolutely right like my work i you know i've been i've been researching um all things epigenetic and when we look at uh you know when it's important to think about you know you know gene expression optimizing gene expression it's it's been, it's in utero. Or when I ask David Perlmutter, you know, when do you think about brain health? When do you do, when do you start with Alzheimer's prevention? And it's in utero. I mean, and this is the same thing. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a radical paradigm shift just needs to take place.
1: hundred percent. I mean, yeah, we all have an expiration date, but we don't all have the same health span. And that's how I'm starting to kind yeah. of think about things is that, you yeah. know, yeah, I know Peter Diaz book came out recently and he has what he calls the marginal decade, you know, the last 10 years of your life, you know, what do you want that to look like? I yep. think that's a good framework. You know, if you want to be a healthy 90 year old or healthy hundred plus year old, what do you need to do right now to get there? Well, one, yep. don't have a heart attack or stroke, you know, then you back your way up into like, okay, that's going to help prevent Alzheimer's that's going to really reduce the risk of malignancies. And, you know, it really comes down to metabolic flexibility and, you know, preventing vascular disease.
0: So therefore with this, with this backdrop and, you know, who, who, who are you thinking about, you know, with regard to vascular risk who comes in your office?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing it's like, there's a different kind of uh cohort of people that it's come like, to see me. Yeah. yeah. There's people that come in because they got quote high cholesterol and, you know, they're wanting to talk about options for treatment. There's people that have family histories that, you know, Hey, my dad had a heart attack at 55. I'm 45. I don't go down the same pathway as my dad. What do I need to do? Yep. Um, but I basically always bring it back down to the basics, you know, the four pillars of health, you got to optimize your mitochondria function, but we're testing. Everybody who walks in the door to look at their health of their arteries before they have, you know, something that's going to be abnormal on a stress test. I mean, in conventional cardiology, you usually don't do a lot of testing until people. have symptoms. I'm testing asymptomatic people. I'm looking at their arterial elasticity. I'm looking at their blood pressure, not only their brachial blood pressure, but their central aortic blood pressure. There's devices that can look at that. I'm looking at, you know, salivary nitric oxide, which is, you know, a tool that you can use to see like, is that person likely getting enough nitrates in their diet? So there's a lot of little pieces they can put together. Like these all seem to rhyme. So they probably do actually have healthy arteries right now. And then you can confirm some of it with the blood work that we were talking about earlier.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. It's interesting. I, you know, talking about Glycocalyx health has, has become very important to me as I've, you know, marched into my fifties. And I think even though I'm reasonably healthy now and, and putting some attention into, you know, remaining that way for as long as possible, it's, you know, Hmm. taking some ownership over my health span, being, you know, in step with my lifespan, tending to my glycocalyx is, is, is something that's a part of my daily, you know, my daily supplement stack really at this point. Um, I want to talk to you about these amazing sulfated polysaccharides and specifically the ramnin sulfate from um, monostroma nitidium, if I'm saying that, (laughs) you know, we know this is, I mean, I know it as, (laughs) you know, tending to my glycocalyx, but I want to, I mean, this is one of the interventions that we can take pretty, pretty easily that may, you know, really aid in optimizing our vascular wellness. Correct.
1: So the one way to think about the the glycocalyx, again, it's this protective gel coating lining, all 60,000 miles of your blood vessels. You first want to try to remove the things that are damaging it. It's always wise to start there. So if you're smoking, stop smoking. If you have dysregulated glucose and insulin, work on that. If you have dyslipidemia, work on that. So remove the insults first, but then there are products that can support a healthy glycocalyx. So the glycocalyx is comprised of proteoglycans, glycoproteins, and these glycosaminoglycans. Well, what the product ramenon sulfate is, it's a you know uh, a fiber um, component of the monostroma nitidium algae. And this Ramanan sulfate has been demonstrated to help regenerate or support the glycocalyx. So if you think of the gel coat being like, you know, hairs at the bottom of an ocean or a riverbed, well, if the glycocalyx gets damaged, those hairs are basically, you know, got a buzz cut. Products like that have the almond and sulfate in it, donate these sulfur units or sulfate units to the glycocalyx and can help regenerate or regrow it.
0: What's the science say? What kind of research is there on this?
1: There's a lot of science behind it that it helps support healthy blood sugar regulation, prevents lipoproteins from sticking to the arteries. Cause that's the way I kind of describe to patients that if the glycocalyx gets impaired, then whatever's floating through your blood is more likely to be sticking to the arteries. They have studies where they're looking at pulse wave velocity. There's a a device called uh, the Max Pulse that I use in my office to assess it, but there's other companies that make these uh, pulse wave velocity devices. Essentially, as blood is coming through your arteries, the arteries should expand quickly and snap back. Kind of like an accordion, it should be really quick. If you have sick arteries, it's kind of more like a lead pipe. Other studies that show that you know, within a couple hours of administration of these Ramanin sulfate products, the arterial elasticity is significantly improved and stays improved while the Ramanin sulfate is, you know, being circulated through the system. So um, I routinely use this in patients that have evidence of endothelial dysfunction or glycocalyx disruption.
0: Are most of these studies in humans?
1: They're a combination, you know, there are some small uh, trials in humans, um, and then there are some animal studies as well as where, you know, i definitely not a bench scientist, but somehow they get endothelial cells and they hook them up into these uh, wells and then they you know, administer different compounds that will potentially damage the glycocalyx. One of the ones that typically is used is uh, lipopolysaccharides, the LPS damages yeah. the glycocalyx. And then they give the products to see, does it you know, support the glycocalyx? Um, so there's studies in all um, kind of areas. So bench research, animals and humans and ongoing humans ones for sure.
0: That's awesome. And it's, I mean, it sticks around in the body sufficiently where you don't have to dose it multiple times through the day. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Generally it's yeah. a twice a day product for most people. Um, but if people's glycogalics is, you know, improving, then may be once a day, you know, um, now sometimes I get the question, like how long should you use these products for? Well, the, you know, sometimes it's lifetime. You know, if you got a lot of cardiovascular disease, probably lifetime is the right answer, but in some people, you know, I think sometimes it's kind of like a probiotic It's like, you're supporting the body temporarily, getting things back online when, you know, the major insult is removed. And then when the glycocalyx has been regenerated and you're doing the blood work testing or these non-invasive tests and it's telling you the arteries are really elastic and they're making good nitric oxide levels, then maybe if the patient is wanting to at that point, then you start de-escalating some of the support.
0: Could you, I mean, would it, would a maintenance dose, like it's funny, I'm sort of selfishly thinking of myself because I have incorporated this as just part of the of a, a, you know, a reasonable longevity stack. But I mean, I guess, do you take it out of curiosity? I mean, do you think having a little bit of background um, remnant sulfate is a good idea?
1: I believe so. I mean, I personally take arterioside. I've been taking it for over, I think almost two years now. Um, You know, I just, I'm a believer. I mean, you know, I've read the data, you know I have the toys in my office, so I'm I'm a biohacker. So I'm going to test myself and if things aren't optimized I reach for what I know. And, you know, it's been helping my arteries stay healthy. And, you know, it's my state of goal. I, you know, I had a great grandmother lived 106 and I'm trying to beat the oh, record. So
0: <laughs> yeah, nice. I have
1: to have a healthy glycocalyx. So that is in one of my stacks is taking arteriosil. You know, I, I take it twice a day and I have no side effects from taking it.
0: No, not at all. Yeah. It's, 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 it's easy to do. I'm, I'm, I'm once a day. I, I'm just not, I'm not good doing <laughs> yeah, twice a day. I, I, I generally fail on twice a day unless I take it before bed. But yeah, it, I, I've, I've, um, I'm pretty bullish on it being just a really fundamental, important part. Um, well, let's turn our attention to, uh, although let me also say, before we talk about nitric oxide, I appreciate you giving alternatives like that we can do all of this underlying work. We can evaluate. And if somebody's healthy, I mean, there's plenty of folks out there who, who don't feel like taking you know, a stack of supplements every day. And I appreciate that. And, you know, the fact that we can just, we can do all the underlying work, the four pillars as you're referring to them and yeah, and they can live relatively supplement free should they choose is is another option. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about nitric oxide and um, you know, the nitric, nitric oxide relationship to the glycocalyx and, you know, why it's so important. It's kind of another sexy molecule, if you will, or, 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 something that we're really thinking about with regard to vascular
1: health. Sure. I mean, nitric oxide was so important that they awarded the Nobel prize in medicine for its discovery back in 1998 for its role in the cardiovascular system. And, you know, quick side note, that is, you know, the major reason why Viagra was such a commercial success is because it was keeping nitric oxide around longer and helping guys you know, have better erections. Yeah. You know, they initially were studying it for high blood pressure, but they noticed the side effect was the erections and they thought, Oh, this is probably a better market, but Those type of medicines. And that's actually on my intake question for patients is like, do you use these type of medicines? And it's mostly as a kind of canary in the coal mine type of question is that if you're using those medicines, you may have a nitric oxide deficiency problem. And so you gotta figure out why do they have low nitric oxide to begin with? So how does nitric oxide get produced? Well, one of the major ways is directly on the endothelial lining. The endothelium is one cell thick and lines your entire lumen of your blood vessels and sitting on top of the endothelium is the glycocalyx. So the glycocalyx is sensing what's floating through the lumen and you will have shear stress. So as the blood is flowing through there, it transduces that glycocalyx and sends a message down to the underlying endothelium. Or I tell my patients that tickles the glycocalyx and the underlying endothelium is like, oh, we probably need to make more nitric oxide. So the body will convert the amino acid arginine in the presence of oxygen, the enzyme endothelial nitric oxide synthase or enos, then convert over to citrulline and then nitric oxide is produced. And then the nitric oxide, which is a signaling molecule diffuses down into the muscle in the wall of the artery. And through a process eventually causes the smooth muscle to relax. And then when the smooth muscle relaxes, the blood flow rushes down into the downstream, you know, artery. And when nitric oxide is in sufficient levels, I kind of talk about it being like a nonstick surface, or, you know, when there used to be things with Teflon on it, when you have high nitric oxide levels, the lipoproteins, the white blood cells, the platelets, they just slide on by the arteries. It's when nitric oxide is low, things start coming in and getting stuck to the artery walls, like Velcro, uh, but that pathway after the age of 40 or so becomes less effective. The endothelial nitric oxide synthase enzyme just doesn't work as well. So there's this sort of a backup pathway, this enterosalivary pathway. So when you eat nitrates, which are in green leafy vegetables and beets, if you have the right bacteria in your saliva, the nitrate reducing bacteria will break those nitrates down. You will swallow it and it will get converted into nitrites during that process. And then as long as you have stomach acid, the stomach acid will do the conversion and eventually nitric oxide will get produced. But if people are using antiseptic mouthwash, they're using high fluorinated products, you know, they disrupt the oral microbiome. So people are aware of the gut microbiome. Well, the oral microbiome is also important. So this is the reason you want to mind your oral microbiome as well, but The other concern is some people are on long-term acid blocking medicines, the proton pump inhibitors, and without stomach acid, you don't make enzymes as efficiently. So sometimes it's about withdrawing things if you can. So withdrawing the mouthwash, withdrawing the acid blocking medicine, if it makes sense for the patient to do that. And often their salivary pathway comes back online and can kind of help rescue their nitric oxide production.
0: Are you going to see that using the salivary nitric oxide test? I mean, you're just going to see it. It'll be white because it'll, it'll, it'll flash pink. It's a color metric change. but But you'll just
1: see it. white. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, it's like a litmus paper. So, you know, you put saliva on it, you know, it's either going to be white kind of mildly pink or bright red, but I do have a little bit of a nuance take on it is because there are different companies that make these, you know, nitrate strips, some work better than others. And you just have to kind of see which one works for you. I think they're most useful for patients that when they do the strips at some point, they have an optimal level. And then when their levels start becoming less than optimal, then you got to figure out what changed, Mm -hmm. but I've seen many patients, and often myself included, taking products that are supposed to support nitric oxide, support the glycocalyx, and my salivary pathways are never optimal, or they're very rarely optimal. And so I don't know what oral microbiome that I have. I'm not using products that are going to disrupt it, but I think that's kind of the next stage is having oral probiotics that can kind of help generate these nitrate-reducing bacteria, but that's kind of future-looking and not ready for prime time yet. So I don't put too much faith if you know, if your blood pressure is normal and you do other testing that says your arteries are likely elastic, if your salivary nitric oxide test strip is white, that isn't something to throw a five alarm fire for. It's just that you might not be somebody who can make that conversion happen. So as long as you get into the down, the blood pressure is normal and the arteries are elastic, you're still getting the benefit right on the artery layer.
0: So you're still making, your ENOS is working. You're still making nitric oxide in adequate supply systemically. You're just not utilizing the oral microbiome apparently. Is that correct? Right. Is that what you're Possibly, saying?
1: or you're just maybe not getting enough nitrates into the system. Some people just don't eat enough, but if you're supplementing with you know a high quality nitrate enriched product, you should be able to overcome that. So I yeah. think it's probably in my experience, probably some more with the oral microbiome than than that we don't know how to actually optimize just yet.
0: Okay. So you could actually, you could be taking an a good NO product and still not change it to that bright pink.
1: And that's why I take okay. multiple data points. You know, like okay. so I do, do tests like arterial elasticity. You know, I have an Indopat device in my office that actually tells you the percentage of how much your brachial artery will dilate in response to a vascular stressor. Um, So I kind of correlate all the data points. And if one data point doesn't make sense, it's not mm-hmm. that I completely throw it out, but i be like, we're yeah. just not going to get you freaked out at home if your levels never go to the bright red levels.
0: Right, 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 that's cool. That's cool. That's nice, that's nuanced. I want to go I want to go to your practice. It <laughs> sounds like you have a lot you've got a lot of um, fun instruments. Uh, first of all, cool. I just I, I need to we need to underline, you know, and highlight the fact that you know you're using a certain mouthwash, and that's why you' you've got you know high blood pressure, or that's a big contributing factor. You've completely trashed your oral microbiome and and probably you're not making enough uh, enos because of that. you know, how many people actually? Think about their mouthwash or their toothpaste, and it's such a huge deal.
1: And usually, yeah. it's, it's mind opening to people. They're like, "You know, I've been doing this forever." I'm like, "Well, let's just see what happens if you don't do it for a while." And often, yeah. you will see a response.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, and the and then on the flip side, well, I don't know if it's quite the flip side, but you know, we see just just uh, all of the various diseases, you know, gingivitis and and periodontal disease and contributing to cardiovascular disease. And certainly a piece of that has to be just disrupting nitric oxide synthesis.
1: Yeah, man, it's anti-inflammatory, it's antimicrobial. So yes, there's a huge oral systemic link. If you have periodontal disease, you often have vascular inflammation.
0: Yeah, that's right. So even that could be sort of a phenotype flag, you know, just starting at the at, at oral oral health. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Um, okay. What did I want to say about this? The half-life of nitric oxide. It's like what a few seconds.
1: It's a few seconds. Yes. Yeah. And that's, so, and that's a challenge. Yeah. Cause it, it acts locally, but you know, there are you know, glutathione is a, you know, a storage form for it. So, you know, uh, kind of a, The biohacker way to do is check a GGT level on your labs. And if you have excessively high GGT levels, you're likely going to have low glutathione levels and nitric oxide, probably more of an issue for you because you're not going to be able to have the storage forms.
0: And ADMA going back to ADMA. I mean, you're shutting nitric oxide down if you're making a bunch of asymmetric dimethylarginine. Correct. So that would be, although in my experience, I, I was at a lab, the, the first lab in the in the US to to release ADMA. And you know, it wasn't either, it wasn't high routinely. So it wasn't the in my experience, it wasn't the most sensitive marker, but valuable nonetheless if it is high. You know, it's yeah. there's a there's a big problem there. Um all right. So it's got a really it's got a fast half-life, which I think lends lends sort of weight to the idea of the whole being approach, you know, diet, lifestyle, sleep, stress, etc., um, to optimize our ability to make it as we, you know, get older, because we're declining in our ability to make it efficiently. Would you agree? Correct. And so, so treatment, you know, working with nitric oxide, what are you doing in practice? Are you prescribing a nitric oxide product?
1: Yes, I am. And it's, you know, Again, always start with what can you withdraw first? You know, if they have high glucose, yeah, are you going to be using berberine, metformin, in addition to the lifestyle modifications? You know, are you dealing with their high stress job and their high cortisol? Like start there first. But if you're going to support nitric oxide, there's multiple products on the market. You know, some of the original ones, You know, those are like Neo40, you know, used to use that routinely, but that's dosed twice a day. And some people just don't like using dissolving lozenges in the mouth. They don't like the taste or, you know, they have a burning sensation. So there are other products that, you know, can help support nitric oxide production that are in capsule form. Um, and then, you know, depending on other markers, then we'll also support the glycocalyx with products that have the Ramanan sulfate, such as the products like arterosol. So those are kind of like the baselines, you know, support the glycocalyx and nitric oxide. They are synergistic. And I know they're doing studies to see how well they work together, but You know, my practice, I routinely do that for patients and monitor and people are getting, you know, good results with it, you know, more elastic arteries and such. Um, So those are kind of the base marks for that. And then then you do all the inflammatory markers and figure out what's causing the inflammation and start pulling those things back.
0: I mean, the reality is if you've got, if there's evidence for poor nitric oxide, your glycocalyx has to be toast by definition, doesn't it?
1: Essentially. Yes. I mean, the glycocalyx (sighs) is the first thing that gets impaired.
0: And then accumulation of all of the, you know, the various pro-inflammatory compounds and um, lipids, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so the nitric oxide product you're using now.
1: So if I use the capsule, I tend to use Vasconox. Um, you know, Dr. Mark Husson, who was a mentor and did a lot of training with, you i know, yeah. recently done a study utilizing it. Uh, the study was done in 12 People who had mild hypertension or weren't requiring antihypertensive medications, or if they were, they did not adjust the doses of the antihypertensive medications. And it was shown that this product helped lower systolic blood pressure. I think on the average around 10 to 11 uh, millimeters of mercury, with no episodes of any hypertension or untoward side effects. So shown to be relatively safe and supporting healthy nitric oxide levels, which then promote arterial elasticity. And improving blood flow and blood pressure. So that's a,
0: that's so, a nice, yeah. that's a nice
1: drop. Yes. That's
0: pretty impressive. How did he dose it in the study?
1: Um, it was uh, two tablets once a day. Because two it, tablets. Had, yeah, it has a, it has a longer, um, I don't know the exact half life, but there's still an the effect of it, you know, over twenty four hours later after the administration.
0: And some that's very impressive because I think that that's a pain in, pain in the butt with, the, with, with our current selection of, of nitric oxide products out there.
1: Because right, most um, of them have to be dosed BID or twice a day.
0: Yeah. And what makes this one different?
1: It also has hydrogen sulfide precursors in it. So my understanding is that hydrogen sulfide also has some um basal dilatory, oh. you know, um effects. It doesn't work exactly this way, but in my mind it kind of works sort of like sildenafil, where it just helping nitric oxide be. Around longer, so it has better uh, function. So, you know, earlier we talked about nitric oxide is a sitting in the molecule. I mean, it's around for a couple of seconds, it's gone. Hydrogen sulfide just tends to make things dilate better.
0: Well, cool. And it's impressive that they just did one time a day dosing. Um, what else did I want to ask you on this? I had another question. Who, so I had a Good question that'll come back to me in a second, but I want to know who your appropriate candidate is for nitric oxide supplement. I mean, it's huge in the bodybuilding community. I mean, there's a lot of people experimenting with it. And I will say that I've used basket knocks myself. I have, I actually take it and do notice it's, it is helpful, you know, before a workout or something like that. I do, I I do like it, even though I'm able to make it my oral microbiome, you know, I can, I can make the, turn the strip pink. (laughs) I turn it, more pink after, after baskin but who's an appropriate candidate for it? Who in your office, you know, when are you thinking about using it?
1: I mean, almost anybody is a candidate for it, but it's a test don't guess philosophy. You know, person comes in and, you know, they have uncontrolled high blood pressure, dyslipidemia, diabetes, they've already had a previous end. By definition, they had some really bad glycocalyx dysfunction, endothelial dysfunction in the past. Have they recovered that or not? And if they haven't, then you can support them with products like Vasconox and arteriosoles so that those things may have a better chance. I was big into like, withdraw the insults and give the body the building blocks it needs to help repair itself. Cause the body is wiser than we're ever going to be. So yeah. I always think about the glycocalyx and then being like the root cause problem in cardiovascular health. If you can support that things don't go downstream. You know, I talked earlier about being invasive cardiologist. Analogies are sort of like, you know, when they. To the cath lab it's kind of like Humpty Dumpty fell on the ground and you're rushing around trying to save them how about yeah. we keep them up on the wall to begin with and that's supporting the glycocalyx
0: or don't even go on the wall Humpty yeah, it's a dude, bad idea come. yeah well, I think <laughs> does it,
1: being alive puts you on the wall but just uh yeah. but that's the the other yeah, way I tend to try to think about things
0: Right. You know what I was thinking about? So you've, you're pretty clear. You've got this continuum of remove first. That's very functional of right. you. That's very yeah. strong functional thinking. And then you can start your interventions. I don't, Oh, al- I'm not always that um, strict, but I was thinking a little bit, you know, there's different nitric oxides. We have got um, endothelial inducible and neuronal and inducible can actually be a bit prone infl- and is pro-inflammatory by, by, by definition that's its role. So I'm wondering would we would you would you be turning so this would be a time to be doing the the uh the remove phase those lifestyle interventions before introducing vascanox or is is that is that just not a concern?
1: I've not seen data that you know the nitric oxide promoting supplements are increasing in-NOS or inos yeah. um you know and that's sometimes you know just how I speak Socially, so it's like nitric oxide is good in the cardiovascular system, but there are definitely roles where nitric oxide is used for the immune system to knock out infections. Yeah, you know, we talked about mitochondria. Well, the mitochondria at the poor cytochrome, nitric oxide acts as a handbrake. It slows down electron flow. Is that necessarily bad? No, it's decreasing oxidative stress because you're not necessarily you know, making a lot of energy at that point. But yeah. then using things like photo photodissociates the nitric oxide out of that space. And then electron flow increases, so it does depend where That's the nitric oxide is at. But yeah. when we're mostly speaking this kind of you know, um, situation is more like we're talking about the actual artery lining.
0: Right, right. So you could introduce it concurrent to your remove your remove period. For sure, for sure. All right, and so who like I, again? I guess I'm curious about the candidate you're starting on the product.
1: I mean, it's going to be people who have you know, abnormal carotid interval medial thickness scans, abnormal CT coronary calcium scans, mm-hmm. you know, or if they've had a CT angiogram or if they've ever had a stent, they're good candidates to think about supporting. Um, you know, those are the people that are top of mind for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. And what about those, the biohackers, the early adopters? I mean, what might be some signals that it could be beneficial, although they're not you know, frankly, down to cardiovascular disease. Yeah, go
1: ahead. Yeah, I think as you were saying, is like the bodybuilder community, the fitness people um, is because, you know, if you can get more oxygen nutrients into a muscle, you probably are going to have a better performance with it, you know, and you can get waste products away faster. So I know there are ongoing studies in humans looking at, you know, improving VO2 max with products like Vasconox. I don't know enough of the details to speak on it eloquently, but, you know, there are those studies ongoing. And then just, you know, and yes, people who are on these type of products tell you like, exercise seems to be a little bit easier and it's probably not placebo, but even if it was placebo, if exercise is easier, well, great. because <laughs> exercise is it. like the number one drug at improving nitric oxide production. You know, as you're improving blood flow down the arteries, you're transducing that glycocalyx to tell the underlying endothelium make us more nitric oxide. So exercise is the best drug at promoting nitric oxide.
0: That's cool. I mean, what isn't exercise the best drug for, right? Yes. that's cool. Um, Is it difficult, like, so for the patient who's not psyched to use a supplement, I mean, is it difficult to really restore their ability or improve their ability to make nitric oxide? I mean, we talked about a compromised oral microbiome, but beyond that, and can you really bring that back?
1: Yes. I've definitely seen patients who have had severe endothelial dysfunction, you know, get back to normal. Um, you know, saw somebody earlier today at a calcium score of you know, over 700, which is a high risk finding. And yeah. we did an endopatin on this individual and they had, you know, a RHI, a reactive hyperimmune index over four. This indicates that this person's arteries can dilate 400% over baseline. So whatever damage the arteries in the past, they've improved it. And their arteries are very elastic at this stage. So it's definitely reversible. I see it pretty much every day.
0: That's awesome. And what is their in their calcium score? I mean, that's not going to really change.
1: I mean, I, that's why I can tell people you like, cause I get that question a lot. Can my calcium score test go down. It can, but that's not necessarily the goal. I mean, yeah. calcium is in my mind is a marker that, you know the arteries had been damaged, you know so the glycocalyx got damaged, the underlying endothelium's is damaged. And now the lipoproteins, which are carrying the cholesterol they've stuck to your artery like Velcro that kicks off an inflammatory response. The body basically thinks bacteria is attacking it. The white blood cells come in to investigate and they start gobbling up the lipoproteins. The cholesterol now gets stuck in the artery wall, kicks off more inflammatory cascade, and the plaques start building up like little pimples on the artery wall. And the body eventually will try to scar that pimple down with different fibroidic tissue, but it will eventually will calcify it. So the calcium is a stabilizing factor, but it's always gonna be present with soft plaque. And that's what you're really concerned about is because it's the salt plaque that tends to be the stuff that ruptures and causes the cardiovascular events. So if your calcium score is X, often it's gonna go up as you do treatment because you're possibly changing the soft plaque to more hard plaque. Rarely sh- should you see the calcium go down. If it goes down, that's probably good, but nobody really knows if it's good if it's going down.
0: Right, right. That's an interesting pearl that it may actually go up as you sort of succeed in your, in your intervention. Um, all right, so what else do we wanna be thinking about in optimizing vascular health long-term?
1: I think it's always going back to the four pillars you know you know stress management you know people want to you know put a bad word that like stress is always bad it's not like without stress we're not going to you know survive as a species you know we're going to have to do physical stress you know ideally through exercise and you're going to do mental stress but how will you recover from that that is tricky for some people so you know i know you've done research on having people doing you know mindfulness and you know doing it 20 minutes twice a day Yeah. How do you balance that autonomic nervous system? That is key to teach people. And then that's the big thing too is the sleep management. I mean, America has a pandemic of like not being able to sleep well. Yeah. If you do not sleep well, then you can take all the supplements you want, all the medications you want. You can eat a perfect clean organic diet. You're not going to get the same results because the mitochondria, that's when they repair themselves. You have to sleep well to age well.
0: Yeah, that's right. Good. That's a good quote. (laughs) Um so how are you motivating your patients to engage in this? I mean, you can say, I'll see you, I'll see you in a couple of years in the cath lab then. You know, you could do that. You could like try the threatening approach, the threatening fear-based approach. But I, you know, I'm here in Connecticut and I'm in, I'm in Fairfield County. I'm I'm close to New York. People live here who commute into the city. There's... A preponderance of high stress humans here. And one of the things that I've found in my years of treating people is that their willingness to work with this, like to really take the impact of toxic stress, not the hormetic stress that you're talking about, but that toxic stress seriously, it's often the last thing, you know, they're willing to do diet, they're willing to do exercise, they'll take any supplement that I think is is, is needed. But to slow down and really engage in mindfulness that moves the needle, that's, that's, that's impactful is, uh, is the last thing. It's like, you know, one patient comes to mind who, who couldn't, you know, her final 10 pounds, you know, wasn't, ha- her life was, you know, fabulous. We dialed in everything we could, but it, it was, it was that you know and the only thing that we needed to do i mean this has been multiple cases in different patients was the was was stress it's like you're facing this so i'll bring it up every session like we'll keep that conversation alive i think that's essential and i think it's motivating it maybe it goes somewhere subconsciously um, but here i tend to see people really having a struggle with embracing it and taking it seriously what about you and how do you how do you get people to engage in that conversation and take action
1: I think it's, you know, the, the Vince Lombardi way, you know, the only way to lead is by example. And that's the only thing I really can motivate people with because the fear-based approach can work for some, but telling people, yeah. you know, stop smoking. Cause always you're going to have a heart attack doesn't get them necessarily to quit smoking. You have to give them a bigger why. And so, you know, do I think vascular health is important for everybody. Of course I do. But if it's the person who's looking for longevity, well, you have to have healthy arteries stage. Well, that's always kind of where I start. And so I'm a basically teach people along the way, like, what am I doing for myself? You know, you know, as a good biohacker, you're going to test, not guess. You're going to try things. And like, that seems like it works. That doesn't work. And then when something works, then you get curious. Then you go reading all the research, like, holy cow. I didn't realize there was a thousand articles on the glycocalyx. I didn't know about this word three years ago. Like, where was I? And I think that's just being constantly curious and exploring things that like, oh, you know, mitochondria might be really important for longevity well, how does photobomodulation work? Oh, it's the mitochondria. And just kind of, you know, adding things onto your armamentarium. Like, yeah, I'm always going to have this base as an invasive cardiologist. I still know how that gets done. Yeah. I'm just trying to prevent myself or any of my patients ever from going back down that pathway. And so it just lead by example is the best way.
0: Well, you know, we need more of you. (laughs) We do. (laughs) We We need more of you doing just, just this and preventing, you know, putting the cath labs out of business. I know I don't, it's not going to be anytime soon, but, you know, no, but would... I've,
1: I've, I've joked about that. That'd be great that, you know, I know people are concerned that AI is going to replace everybody. You know, I would love to replace cat labs, give those guys skills then they can go do something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's some of the research I know we've, we've touched upon quite a bit of it and for show notes. Purposes, folks, we'll we'll park some of the some of the citations. Certainly that Mike Mark Houston paper will, will put into the show notes. But what are what are some of the studies out there to, that are just really lighting you up these days?
1: Um, I mean, I know they're researching other ways to look at the health of the glycocalyx because there's right now no direct way to assess it. What,
0: know, about a, what about glycocheck? What about glycocheck?
1: it's a interesting technology. It's an intravital microscope. So it's a microscope that you put under the tongue and you can look at the sublingual blood vessels and you can look at the perfused boundary region, which is just how much do the red blood cells penetrate into this region? The more it penetrates, the worse off the glycocalyx is. But I have not yet seen convincing evidence that what's going on in your oral circulation is exactly the same that's going on in your coronary circulation. So I think it's probably at this point useful for more like a sepsis type picture. So somebody's in ICU, put the probe in and see like what's going on like oh there could probably be a disseminated shock makes sense but until they show me the research that like it truly correlates with the coronaries i don't know exactly what to what to make of it just yet but i think that is a coming type of technology is that you know do they have enough research to pinpoint that like, okay these glycocalyx promoters are actually promoting improved glycocalyx throughout the entire system and not just in the oral cavity so i think that is an interesting way and then i you know had recently given a talk to uh, the PLMI organization and I was doing some research on it and okay. I know there's organizations looking at MRI trying to find a tracer that the glycocalyx would be traced with. And then uh-huh. you would do an MRA and you'd be able to subtract out the volume and tell the person, okay, this is your entire volume of glycocalyx throughout your entire system. So that would be super, super fascinating when that technology, if it gets developed, would be online because then people could basically go in for a, a yearly glyco check, you know, or whatever they're gonna call it, you know, glycoscan or something and say, yeah. Like, is my glycocalyx healthy? Yes or no? Yeah. Because right now everything is kind of a downstream effect. Like we're doing markers of endothelial health. We're looking at biomarkers, like, you know, ADMA, you know, those all give you a signal, but like you're not directly looking at the glycocalyx. So I think that is kind of the future. And then I also had seen that there was articles that are talking about the um, glycosaminoglycan, like the gagom is what they were calling it, which is kind of a quite funny term, <laughs> but the gagom is looking at, you know, how much heparin sulfate and hyaluronic acid, you know, should be normal in your bloodstream or in your urine. I think it's gonna take AI and machine learning to really figure out like, what is the exact normal level of degradation that the glycocalyx is supposed to be doing and then offer an intervention and then retest and then have the AI be like, yes, that is actually improving that. But I think that is probably the thing that'd be most excited for is that we'd have some kind of test that we can do, you know, really routinely be like, okay, do this intervention. The glycocalyx got better. Yes or no?
0: Right, but you might you would anticipate seeing some phenotypic change as well. But you could correct. have plenty of glycocalyx damage, perhaps without much phenotypic correct um, obvious you know presentations obvious signs. Um, what is the what is the tracer that they're testing for glycocalyx? I'm so curious. Have they come up with? I don't think they any?
1: have one yet. <laughs> I think that was the things that that they're, they're trying to figure out. There was. Automat, I can't remember one that was like that would bind to albumin, but yeah, you know, there's other components in the glycocalyx other than just albumin. So yeah, they don't have one yet.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. Huh. Fascinating. I well, I'm glad and I appreciate your opinion on on glycocheck. It's it it seemed like a really kind of cool technology, but it makes sense that it would only well it's assessing locally and is it is it reflective of systemic. Um all right, so you've got your grandma who's 106, right? Or she lived to be yeah. 100. Is she still yeah. alive?
1: She passed away in 2000, but she was born in 1893, so she made it three centuries. So
0: it's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. I'm curious, like, if she gave you any tidbits, interesting tidbits about life back then. But mm-hmm. wait, so what are what what are the most important hacks on your journey and what you share with your patients? Like, just in our kind of in our wrapping up you know what do we really need
1: to do yeah yeah i mean it always sounds counterintuitive kind of but i always start with circadian biology yeah it's that important like our body craves consistency so i just kind of walk people through like what an optimal day would be is you'd be up around sunrise the first light that hits your eyes would be natural sunlight that light hits the melanopsin receptor in the back of your retina that sends a message to the supercosmetic nucleus in the brain and tells your body it's daytime and you start making cortisol and all your sex hormones The color of the light or the wavelengths of light change throughout the day. So when UVA light comes out later in the morning, when UVA hits your skin, it's going to liberate nitrates from your bloodstream. You're going to release nitric oxide with UVA light hitting your skin. Later in the day, UVB comes out. You're going to sulfate the cholesterol and make vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And then it goes in reverse. The sun sets and the receptor in back of the eye would realize it must be nighttime because there's no more blue photons hitting the back of my eye. And you would go to bed in a couple hours after that, or you'd have a fire and maybe delay it a little bit, but now with our backlit technologies, you know, this blue light coming off our devices that we're chatting with right now, this is set at 5,500 Kelvin. This is the exact same color temperature as solar noon. So every time you're looking at your devices, you get a hit in your brain that it's still noon time and that's messing people's circadian rhythms up dramatically. And so then people don't sleep well, which leads to all the cascades of insulin resistance and they can't change their body composition and their brain is foggy you know, you have to start with your light cycles first. So I always, always start with circadian rhythm biology first, and then we layer in your nutrition, your exercise, your stress management.
0: That's really interesting. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. And once you're not sleeping, you know, and once you kick in insulin resistance, I mean, and then it's just the slippery slope, right? You're going to stop making nitric oxide and, you know, then your endothelial and the endothelium and your glycocalyx like, okay, are going to just stick together, and just all of that, and you accelerate your aging journey. Anything, anything from your grandma? Any cool, cool little factoids you can share? I'm so curious.
1: <laughs> she lived alone until she was 100, and then she did end up developing dementia in her, her later years and went into a facility. Um, but she was a very happy-go-lucky lady. But the
0: what did she do? What'd she do? What did she do? But yeah,
1: go- nothing. She did nothing. She did not exercise. She ate hot dogs, diet Coke, post toasties. She did not sleep well. She le- she lived literally under the flight path of the airport here in St. Louis. She did nothing help promoting. So she was probably one of those lucky people. I eventually yeah. kind of figured out a little bit why I tested my dad's genes because he has excessively low lipoproteins. Well, my dad has an ApoE2 gene. I'm sure she had this. My dad has a loss of function PCSK9 gene. So he basically has oh, built in repatha or preluent. So his. Basically, LDL receptors are just always out there clearing APOB particles from the bloodstream. So his, you know, LDL particle counts like five, six hundred, no medications. Calcium scores like 10. Yeah. So he's not heart attack proof, but his risk of atherosclerosis is extremely low for people of his age. So I think she was one of those people that had some lucky genes that got her to 106. I've already done my own test. I know I don't have those same, you know, cardiovascular protective genes. So Dang. I have to do more. So I have to do yep. the biohacking. I have to do all the functional medicine if I learn. So that's yeah. why I say it's kind of lead by example, because I'm learning and I'm implementing as fast as I can, because I have a, a large gap to uh, the close with her. So 107 yeah. is a long time from now, but it'll come quick.
0: <laughs> you can, you can do it. I think that's wonderful. And my family, we have high LPA. I don't mm-hmm. LP little a, but you know, my my grandfather, un, the, the opposite of your mom, of your grandma, he died in, when he was sixty, and I and I'm 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 sure a massive heart attack, and I'm sure that LP little A was you know kind of leading the charge for him, and we didn't understand it back then, but right. but you know we have plenty of interventions that we can do, like LP little A does not have to be a death sentence. So poor genes or not having the you know those yeah the, the longevity genes that your that your dad and your grandma have doesn't does not mean you won't hit 106, you know, healthy and happy. Yes. Well, listen, thank you so much, Dr. Twyman. It was a really fun conversation with you today and keep up the good work.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was definitely a fun conversation.